Let's go ahead and stand. Thank you for being with us online tonight. We're glad that you have tuned in. We're going we're gonna to open up in prayer. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. Uh, if you're online this, this evening, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you uh, as well. Uh, Father, we just are so grateful, uh, Lord, to be able to come together and study your word. Lord, I thank you for your many blessings. And uh, Lord, again, at your invitation, we come boldly to your throne well, we do find grace and mercy, Lord, and there continues to be so many need among the body, but God, I thank you that you are faithful, and that God, that you work uh, all things together for our good, and for that, we are so grateful, and I pray tonight for, for the hands that went up in the building, uh, Lord, I pray that you'll meet every need, whatever that need is tonight, God, that you would just take care of it, healing, deliverance, uh, comfort, strength, Lord, I pray provision, uh, Lord, guidance, direction, all those things that we uh, struggle with. I pray, God, that you would just amply provide uh, tonight as we call out to you. I pray for all the ministries that are uh, taking place on campus tonight that, again, above all, that you would be exalted and lifted high. And I pray, Father, for, um, Lord, our time of study tonight. Lord, I just pray that you open our hearts and let us receive what you have for us. And I pray, God, that you would, as we, uh, again, are in the summer months, I pray for those that are traveling uh, your hand upon them. May they have a great time and come home safely. 
Father, we just uh, give all of this to you right now. Thank you that you hear us when we pray, and we just ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Amen. God bless you tonight. You may be seated. Go ahead and turn with me to Psalm chapter 10. Psalm chapter 10. Just a couple of announcements. Don't forget, tomorrow is our food distribution. Uh, this is the one that is at Yellow Jacket Stadium. Uh, so be there at uh, 10 o'clock tomorrow and we'll get ready to hand out food to over 200 families. Uh, also, uh, don't forget VBS, VBS is coming up here in a couple of weeks. Um, we, get, we can still, again, volunteers. Um, you, never can have many, you never can have too many volunteers, right? Uh, we also are coming up with our July 2nd Celebrate America service. Again, there's a menu board out there. Uh, this year we're doing hamburgers, hot dogs, and so we're going to kind of do what we did, we've done in times past. We'll have sides of baked beans, potato salad, dessert. So if you'll sign up to bring something, we'll provide the meat and the things like that, and we'll have a good time. Invite your veteran friends. Uh, this is one of my favorite days of the year, uh, and I'm excited we get to celebrate the Christian heritage of our nation uh, and the freedom that we have in our relationship with God. And then also, I hadn't, I've only said this a couple of times, but on, I believe it's, <clears throat> I believe it's a Thursday night, July the 27th, uh, Brian Free and Assurance will be with us in concert. Um, Brian, uh, he, they're, they're Grammy Award winning, uh, Bill Gaither type, uh, been around a while, does a fantastic job, and so they're going to be here that Thursday night. We don't normally do Thursday night, they needed a place to go, and we have a place they can come, <laughs> so it'll be a love offering, uh, so you're not going to be able to do that in the Metroplex, uh, but you can do it here, and if you like good Southern gospel, uh, and he does a little more than that, but anyway, if you like good singing, I would encourage you to uh, take out your device and type in Brian Free and Assurance if you're unfamiliar with their music and kind of listen to that, and then you'll know you want to come and bring your friends with you. Uh, anyway, let's get into our uh, study tonight. As we, as we jump in, uh, we're going to actually wrap up the series tonight on questions, got questions. And tonight's topic is this, why do bad things happen to good people? Anybody ever ask that question today? <laughs> uh, why do bad things happen to good people? So Psalm chapter 10, verse number one, we're just going to read. Just one verse, uh, and here's what the psalmist writes. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? <laughs> Why do you hide in times of trouble? Anybody relate to that? Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. So, so again, as we wrap this series up, we've been in this series for about uh, seven or eight weeks now. We've been looking at just, just random questions that people have from time to time. And, and tonight, again, um, we're gonna, there, there are many more questions, okay? I, I'm certainly not saying that we've answered and exhausted everyone's questions because how many know that's not true? You know, we could be here until eternity trying to answer questions and uh, so I just want to end tonight with this one. Why do bad things happen to good people? And again, have you ever asked that question? Have you ever gone through a situation where you just stopped and said, God, this isn't right? Anybody done that besides me? <laughs> it, it's just not right for this to happen. Um, you know, I have more than once in my lifetime asked that question and pondered uh, the answers to that question. Some people have even called this the Achilles heel of Christianity, why bad things happen to good people. Uh, George Barna, who is a Christian pollster, one time asked this question. He said, if you could ask God one question, what would you ask? Think about it. If you could ask God one question, what would you ask? And out of all the responses that came in, the top response was this. What, <clears throat> pardon me. Why is there pain and suffering in the world? Uh, of all the questions that could be asked, the top question uh, asked by this pollster was uh, answered with, why is there pain and suffering in the world? And again, I can't think of anything more universal to the human experience than suffering. 
In fact, uh, maybe a couple years ago when I was doing, uh, I forget what the topic was or the, the series, but it was a little bit of apologetics. And, and I mentioned this a couple years ago that many people would say that the problem of evil is their reasoning for not believing in God. And, and the idea goes something like this. If God is so loving and so powerful and all-knowing and all-caring, then why do bad things happen to good people? Again, that's just the infantile wisdom of man, but yet for some people that is a big deal because it, what they believe about God, what they hear about God, doesn't line up with what they are experiencing. And so that is, again, have you, have you experienced hardships? Have you experienced the curveballs of life that just out of the blue came and just knocked the wind right out of you? Well, then you have that question. You know, why do bad things happen? And, and here's the thing. The answers to that question can be very elusive, um, and, and not just elusive, but when we get to a biblical answer for the question, it never satisfies us. You ever notice that? It never satisfies. Um, here's a truism. If you're not going through a hard time right now, just wait, because you will. Isn't that encouraging? Didn't you come out Wednesday night just to hear that you're going to go through some really bad stuff? That's just a truism. I mean, this is the nature of living in a fallen world. Pain is guaranteed for everyone who is alive. If you have breath and you have a pulse, you're going to have pain. Maybe you're here tonight, and, or maybe you've tuned in online, and you find yourself in a furnace of suffering right now. Or maybe, maybe there are others here tonight that you've just come out of a period of time of suffering and hardship and then still for others, if you haven't, sooner or later, you're going to be there. Because we, we all suffer. Uh, again, I quoted Philippians 1.29 on Sunday, for, for unto you it is given on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but to suffer for his sake. That's a part and parcel to the journey that God has called us to. Going through tough times begs a couple of questions. Number one, if God, again, if God is all-powerful and God is good, then why is there so much pain and suffering? Or maybe this is one that you've asked. I know I've asked this one before. What have I done to deserve this kind of treatment? Anybody? Yeah, I mean, again, you, you, when you get overwhelmed with stuff, you know, you start, you start just like, what, what, what did I do? As though the suffering and the pain and the hardships are somehow directly tied to your activity what you did or did not do. Why does, uh, why does God allow this to happen? I mean, these are legitimate questions. We struggle with this because it goes against our sense of what is fair and what is not. You know, I look at my wife every day, and, and, and the truth of the matter is, every day she, the degradation is a little bit more. And, and I know where it's headed. If God doesn't intervene where it is headed, she will be bedridden, um, you know, with, within a short period of time. How is that fair? You know, I mean, again, we all have our circumstances and those questions. And, and, and so that's kind of where I want to go tonight. Um, you know, we reason things like, well, I would, never, I would never treat my loved one this way. In fact, I would do everything I could to help them avoid the discomfort. I've even been to a place in my life, and I'm so glad that God, <laughs> that God is long-suffering because I've actually been at a place where I've said, God, I would never do this to my son, and that look at what you're letting happen to me. I've said those words. Have you ever been to a place like that? I know that's very brash and pretty stupid, <laughs> but when you hurt, it's hard, and we wonder, where are you, God? What in the world's going on? And the thing is, this is not an intellectual issue to be packaged in a simple teaching that we have here tonight. This is an intensely emotional matter that we struggle with. Again, I've been in ministry for over 30 years, pastored here for 30 years, and there have been times where I've just said, God, I would never do this to my son. And you know the reference that I'm making because Jesus said, if you be an evil, know how to do good things to your children. How much more does your heavenly father how much more does he delight in doing good things for his children? And I've said, God, I'd never do this to my son. 
That's pain. That's hurt. That's disappointment. You know, one writer referred to this problem of pain as, and I love the way he referenced it because being a fisherman myself, I love the way he says it. Here's what he said. When, he, when he's talking about the pain, the problem of pain, he said, the question mark that turns like a fish hook in the human heart. That pain is like a fish hook that turns in the, in, in the human heart. And, but here's the thing as we get into this. I know, I know I'm kind of laying it on a little bit heavy at the beginning here. But, you know, the Bible, the Bible doesn't run away from questions like that. In fact, in, in, in our text tonight, <laughs> David was quite blunt. Why? Why, Lord, do you stand away afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That was, that was David. One of the things I love about the Psalms, you, you, you hear me, I haven't said this in a long time, but one of the things I've always loved about the, Psalm, the Psalms is that they are therapeutic letters. Because you read many of those letters that they, the writer would begin expressing a complaint or something that's going on. They begin to pour it out, and they're just being honest and laying out their raw emotions. But as they get through the process of verbalizing it, they find healing and that's what's powerful about them. Habakkuk 1-2 says, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Boy. <laughs> we talk about God hears every prayer. He notices every tear. Even the prayers that cannot be uttered, God hears. But Habakkuk says, O oh Lord, how long will I cry for help and you will not hear? So let's unpack this tonight. You know, first of all, let's start out by establishing a couple of things. Why, why is there evil in our world? Number one, because, uh, or why do we have pain in our world? Number one is because moral evil has been unleashed. Again, we got to understand what's happened in our world. Genesis 1, 28, uh, God spoke. He said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so God creates Adam and Eve in his image. And that image, as an image bearer, they had the ability to make choices. Please understand that. In the very beginning, God created this beautiful place, and he created man in his image, and he placed them in this perfect place called Eden. And because they were created in the image of God, they, they were image bearers of God, they had the ability to make choices. And, you know, sometimes we hear people say things like, well, why didn't God create a world where tragedy and suffering didn't exist? Well, he did. I mean, that, that, that's the truth of the matter. He did. He created a world where where. Everything was in harmony and everything was harmonious in its relationship to each other. He said in Genesis 1.31, again, talking about his creation, he said, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. But it didn't last long. God did not create evil. Rather, he created the possibility of evil when he created human beings in his image. We call this free will. Free will, free moral agency. God gave Adam and Eve some moral parameters. And again, he gave them these guardrails and he told them what they could and could not do. Genesis 2.16 says, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. What was God doing? God was setting the parameters. Listen, I've given you a wonderful place. I've met every need that you possibly could have. But there's one prohibition. That was the condition. And what did they do? They disobeyed. And by choosing to disobey his standards, every since that day, every one of us that has been born, we've been, you know, we, we've been born with that same ability to make choices and with that rebellious leaning. Every one of us. Born in sin, shaped in iniquity. Vince Vitale writes, according to Christianity, what God values above all is relationship. But for relationship to be meaningful, it must, it must be freely chosen. For relationship to be freely chosen, there must be the possibility of it being rejected. And wherever there's the possibility of rejecting relationship, there's also the possibility of pain and suffering, end quote. See, sometimes we suffer because of the sinful choices that we make. When sinful people make decisions, God allows those decisions to play out. And sometimes those consequences bring bad things to us and others around us. 
Number two, the earth is marred by sin. So when God put them in the garden and he gave them the prohibition when they violated and disobeyed, it brought death. That's what he told them. In the day that you eat, you will die. They unleashed death on the earth. See, before Adam and Eve willfully, and again, that's the operative word, they, they willfully sinned, there were no earthquakes, natural disasters, there were no hurricanes, diseases. But when they sinned, creation came under a curse. They were cursed. So what happened? Genetic disorders, diseases were unleashed to do their work. What was their work? To bring death. That was it, to bring death. Pain and death became part of the human experience. This is how God described the consequences of their decision. Genesis 3, 17 and 18, here's what he said. Cursed is the ground because of you. It had nothing to do with God. Curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. That's what you did. Their sin resulted in personal guilt and shame. It resulted in alienation from God and others. But it also caused a disruption in nature. That's why Paul said in Romans 22 that this present time, the state of our, our, our world right now, he said, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What started back in the Garden of Eden is still effect, effective today. It's still disrupting. We have natural disasters. We have super storms. And we have, uh, we have ice and hail and thunderstorms and tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and all kinds of things, wildfires. It started in the Garden of Eden because of man's willful disobedience. The entire globe is groaning under the pressure of God's judgment. And it was all set in motion the moment Adam and Eve defied God's parameters. I like the way one author put it. He put it like this, choose to sin, choose to suffer. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. And because Adam and Eve sinned, because of that sin, every person on the entire planet is still suffering. Number three, Satan influences people to do evil. I hesitated to even talk about that because, you know, Flip Wilson made it very popular back in the 70s. Remember what he said? Devil made me do it. And, you know, and I think sometimes we want to use that as a cop-out. But the reality is Satan is an adversary. And he looks to unduly influence us in our daily life. Many bad things are, uh, again, are a result of our own choices. But there are other things that are a result of the devil's destructive designs. What did Paul say? We are not unaware of his schemes. We're not unaware of his devices. He has a plan. Satan is ultimately behind, again, he's ultimately behind hatred, divisiveness, war, oppression, evil in the world. That's why Paul wrote to uh, the church of Ephesus in chapter 6, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You know, behind the hatred, behind the wars, behind all of these things is a sinister plot to overthrow the God of heaven. He, he inflames our passions and he prompts us to make bad choices. I mean, again, look at some of the things that have been going on in the last few years. How in the world do you explain a parent killing her own child? Or a gunman walking into a school shooting children, innocent children, if there's not something sinister behind that? Jesus referred to him this way in John 8, 44. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Now, here's the last one, and then we'll get into the, really the meat of it. <laughs> and this one's going to be kind of hard to swallow because I'm allergic to one thing. Pain, that's right. You guys are really good. <laughs> Pain. And here's what it is. God works his plans and his purposes through our suffering. That's a hard pill to swallow. God works his plans and his purposes through our suffering. Again, it might be a challenge for us to swallow. But the truth is God is good even when bad things happen. 
God is good even when bad things happen. Some, some of God's reasons are beyond our capacity to understand. You know, there are times when we hurt, we go to God and say, God, why? And we hear no answer. You know why we don't hear an answer? Because we wouldn't understand it in the first place. We've been there. It's beyond our ability to understand. This is what God said in Isaiah 55, 9. We know it well. He said, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. It means that we don't have the capacity. I don't have the gigabytes. <laughs> I was making a comment at the gym the other day. Somebody told me, to, you need to remember this. And I said, remember that. I said, I'm past my gigabytes. I'm, I have some timers. Sometimes those gigabytes kick in and I can remember, and sometimes I can't. Too much information. You know, if you have a, a RAM and it's, what happens when you put too much information on your RAM? It crashes or it slows down. So if you see me dazing, my RAM is trying to process. You know, you go on the computer and you hit that button and that little wheel starts spinning. If I'm in a daze, that's what my, my brain's doing. It's just spinning. It's trying to process. <laughs> here's, here's the whole point of this. We have to surrender to the sovereignty of God, right? Because all things are under the rule and reign of God. Ultimately, that's what it is. We surrender to the, to the sovereignty of God. Nothing happens without the, his direction or his permission. Tony Evans says everything that happens is either allowed by God or caused by God. He's sovereign over it all. Again, we know it well. I've already quoted it, Proverbs. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know, and we know. I like that, and we know. Do we? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. See, God is, all, God is working all things for his glory and the ultimate good of those of us who have been called to live out his purposes. So the bottom line is this, there are purposes to our pain. So the Bible speaks of at least four things that can come out of bad things. Number one, hard times can stretch us. If we always get what we want, then we cruise through life, and we cruise through life with no problems, we'll stay the same and our character won't change. How many, when your children were growing up, did you... Uh, did you say no at times? There was a reason for that. There was a purpose behind that. You wanted them to learn character. You, did, you wanted them to, to learn. You wanted them to grow, to be stretched. James put it like this. James chapter 1 put it like this. Count it all joy. <laughs> I always love that. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you have trials of various kinds. For you know, there it is again, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be, I love this, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So, what do trials do? What do hard times do? They stretch us. They build our character. They build our resolve. You know, when I was in the military going through, I mean, they put us through the ringer. I'm telling you, when I went through school in, in Florida, they, they, they push you to the limits of your physicality to see, let you see what your body can do. The bodies are an amazing thing. Just when you thought you were going to die. You know, how many kids ever walked up to you and you know, got them out there pulling weeds or mowing the grass and they're coming here, I'm going to die. <laughs> no, you're not. Get out there and finish. <laughs> you push them because you know hard times grow us. They stretch us. Number two, hard times can equip us. Another reason we go through difficult times is so that God, uh, difficulties is so God can comfort us. And once we are comforted, we do what? We comfort others. That's what Paul said in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the same comfort that we ourselves have been comforted with. How many ever had an opportunity to share your testimony with somebody going through something similar? That's a validation right there. That's, a, that's exactly what Paul's talking about. I'm, I'm not saying this in, in, in a braggadocious way, but I've got a lot of miles in my life. 
you know, and, and most of them are because of my, what do I want to say? Stubbornness, hard-headedness. And I've learned a lot of lessons. I've experienced a lot of things. And you know what's been interesting? In 30 years of pastoring here, just about every time somebody's come in that's needing, that, that just wants to talk and said, hey. And it's not that I have shirts that say, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. It's the fact that the comfort that I received during my difficult days, I'm now able to share with somebody in their difficult days. And I say, you know, if God helped me, he can help you. If God brought me through it, he can bring you through it. See, so hard times equip us. It equips us to do body ministry because we've got some young whippersnappers coming up that they don't have life experiences. So they, look, they need to look at the, those of us who have gone through the, the, the ringer and say, how did you do that? Some of you might remember several years ago, we started a ministry called Heart to Heart. Anybody remember that? So, so, so for those who don't, Heart to Heart, the concept behind Heart to Heart was what we wanted to do. FAM is doing that, that role now. But what we did was what I, what I envisioned in Heart to Heart was that we would have an older couple that had been married for a period of time, you know, 25, I think it was, I don't remember if it was 25 years plus, but, but anyway, they'd been married, established for a long time, par- pair up with a younger couple so that the mentoring process, so the older training the younger, so that those younger couples, if they were going through tough times, could go to their elder mentor counterpart and say, hey, how did you go through this? And there was some good success through that. Uh, you know, seasons come and seasons go, and 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 it did its season. But that was kind of the idea. We learn about through we learn through going through the things. Number three, hard times not only do they equip us, they teach us. They teach us. See, God may use hard times to um, that we're experiencing to teach us something that we can't learn any other way. Hebrews chapter twelve says He disciplines He disciplines us for our good. That we may share in his holiness. For the moment, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, yet later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When God wants to teach us something, suffering is usually right behind it. I always use, I preached this message many years ago. I need to bring it back out. I think it would be a good message, but called Desert Detours. And and it, and it was about this the, the Exodus, how that God led the children of Israel the long way around to get to the promised land. You know, he didn't take them the short way. You know, they could have been there within a few days. He took them the long way around. And the reason was there were lessons that they needed to learn, and they could not learn them but in the wilderness. That was the place of their, that was their tutelage. That was their schooling, was in the wilderness. Because, see, in Egypt, the world, everything was provided. You know, they, they knew when to get up, when to go to bed. They knew what to eat. They, were gonna, they, they had it all taken care of. They didn't know how to trust God. They didn't know how to lean on his goodness. But in the desert, you better believe they're going to find out real quick that God's trustworthy. And number four, hard times, not only do they teach us, they reach us. They reach us. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, God can use suffering to get our attention, to help uh, those eternal realities break through in our lives. I've known people here in the church that, that what we call that rock bottom. Anybody know, familiar with that? We, we, we call that rock bottom. We see people that get to that place of rock bottom, and it's at that bottom that they start reaching out and saying, okay, I need, some, I need something to change. God uses suffering to do that. Luke 13, after bringing up those who were wiped out while they were worshiping and others that were killed in, this, in Luke 13 in that accident, Jesus really gives the answer to why do bad things happen and here's what he said, and, and again, that's why I'm saying sometimes we don't want to hear the biblical answer, but he says, uh, he says the same thing in Luke 13, verse 
3 and verse 5. He said, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. To reach. To reach. Jude tells us that we are to we are to have fellowship with the brethren and we're to rescue by snatching out of the flames. Two different approaches, but the same result of reaching people. Again, in that statement there in Luke, we see the heart of Jesus. He longs for us to repent and turn to him. You know, and, and, and again, I think the American culture in particular, we somehow think we deserve good things. That we deserve good things, that God owes us an easy life because we were born in this country. And then when things go wrong, what do we do? You know, we wig out. <laughs> you know, we, we wig out because it wasn't supposed to happen that way. We go to the doctor and it's supposed to be a good report. Right? It's supposed to be benign, not malignant. It's supposed to be operable, not inoperable. It's supposed to be curable, not terminal. That's, that's where we are. So instead of wondering why bad things happen, Jesus reminds all of us that we are fallen individuals living in a fallen world. We should be amazed and thankful that we have another day. Again, I know this is heavy, but I'm just saying, why do bad things happen? It's a perspective. It doesn't mean that when I walk out of here, I'm not going to fuss <laughs> the next time I have to pick my wife up off the floor. Doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that I won't shed another tear because I miss my companion. Doesn't mean that. It just means I've contextualized it and I understand that I'm not owed anything, and what I have, I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for. Listen, Jesus is basically saying, while there's still time, repent. One of the most vivid examples of suffering that there is in all of literature is who? Anybody know? Is Job. Job. His story is a prime example of human suffering. It chronicles the life of a man who underwent tremendous misery. He lost everything, his job, his possessions, his family, his health, his friends. Hard times were used to stretch him, to equip him, to teach him, and to reach him. And I, I've taught on through the book of Job before in the past, but Job's trust wavered. It wavered, he mourned, he protested. See, I see myself in that story a lot sometimes shaken to my core. I remember that one of the reasons that hugs came about was that three-month-old baby that I held in the ER that died, and I wanted to walk away and say, God, I'm done. I'm done. And it wasn't a crisis of faith. By no means was it a crisis of faith. It was painful. It was painful. Trust wavered, Job mourned, he protested, he questioned, he even cursed the day he was born. He desperately wanted to know why all these bad things were happening to him. God answered, but he answered, <laughs> I always like this, he answered in a way that was least expected from Job. Randy Alcorn writes, he said, when I need an adjustment to help me put uh, affliction in perspective, he said, I often read the last five chapters of Job. I never read these chapters without feeling that God has been put in his proper place and I've been put in mine. See, Job, I mean, again, think about it. Job had a much stronger basis, I think, for complaint than I ever will, okay? If God's response satisfied him, then maybe it should satisfy us. Here's some of the questions that Job asked. In chapter 6, he said, what is my strength that I should wait Chapter 7, why, why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? Again, this is Job in the middle of his suffering. He's like, God, why are you picking on me? 
Out of all the people on the planet, why did you single me out? Why me? What did I do to you? And so he goes through 37 chapters of laying it all out. Listen, by the way, God's okay with that. If, if you don't go away with anything else that I say, I want you to go away with this reality that God is okay. When I say, God, I would never do that to my son. I can't believe that you would do that to me. He knows. He knows what's going on in my heart. For 37 chapters, God let Job speak. Let his friends speak. How would you like to have friends that would come and for seven days just sit there and stare at you? And then when they open their mouth, they're not much of encouragement to you. So he lets him go 37 chapters, and here's what happens. In chapter 38 and 39, Job comes face to face with the God of nature. And then in chapters 40 through 42, he encounters the nature of God. What is God doing to him? In his tough moments, he reveals himself. The nature, the God of nature. Chapter 38, verse 1 said, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. <laughs> I like that. I, I picture a tornado. Just a power. I mean, again, you would, you would think, okay, this is just me. i got to hurry. I'm, I'm probably going to run out of time tonight. You would think that out of all the stuff, the frustration that he's going through, the loss that he suffered, the indignity that he suffered, you would think that verse number one of chapter 38 in Job, that God would appear like a gentle shepherd that would kind of carouse his wounded man, cajole him, telling him everything was going to be all right, or that he would begin to answer some specific, that's an ocean, specific <laughs> questions. He does neither. <laughs> he does neither. It's now God's time to ask the question. So verses two and three, God steps up and says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And then I like what he says. He says, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. <laughs> Yeah, yes, Lord. It's kind of like the phone call. What, what, where was I at Sunday? <laughs> you knew about that. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. So, so for 30, 37 chapters, Job is taking pot shots at God, and he was making things worse because he was talking about things he had no knowledge of. And so it's like, I mean, think of it this way. God is challenging Job to a wrestling match. I love the phrase because the phrase, look at what it says. He said, dress for action like a man. The King James says, gird up the loins like a man. It's like, come on now, suit up. You want to challenge me? Let's go, boy. Let's get after it. And it's, 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 it's taken directly from the ancient sport of, of belt wrestling. And in this, in this belt wrestling, it's kind of, you would think of it almost like sumo wrestling. The contestants would grab each other's belt in an attempt to throw them down. And then the ultimate goal, obviously, was removing the opponent's belt. And so Job is being invited by, the, by God Almighty to a, a wrestling match. God takes Job through a crash course in Theology 101. And again, I, I wish we had time, but I'm, I'm just telling you, if you ever go through hard times, go start reading in Job 38. And read all the way to, through 42. Verses 4 and 5 says, where were you? Again, this is God. Okay, for 37 chapters, you've talked. Now hush. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you, you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? Again, God is eternal while Job recently showed up on the scene. <laughs> In verse 31, the Almighty, God has him gaze into the heavens. He said, can you bind the chains of the, I can't ever say this, the Pelides or loose the cords of Orion? Okay, a little bit of astronomy there. The astronomers believe there are 100 billion stars in our galaxy, and they estimate that there could be as many as 130 billion galaxies in the universe. 
if Job can't move the stars around, then maybe, then maybe he can make it rain. Verses 34 and 35. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that the floodwaters may cover you? Can you send forth lightning? Chapter 39. God's not done yet. Chapter 39, he turns to the animal kingdom. Do you know when the mountain goats gives birth? Do you observe calving of the does? Do you know why I made the ostrich like I did? (laughs) Do you know why the ostrich lays eggs and can't remember where it laid them? (laughs) Again, 60 different questions. God peppers Job. And after each question, you can almost hear Job saying, I'll pass on that one. (laughs) I'll pass on that one. I mean, if Job can't answer one of 60, then there's no way that the 60 million other extravagant intricacies involved in sustaining the universe would make any sense to him. God and Job don't shake hands, okay, uh, and go their separate way because God wants Job to understand that he's sovereign and he's wise. So chapter 40, God takes another approach. Verse 2 says, "Shall shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty. He who argues with God, let him answer it. So God pauses for a moment to let Job answer. And again, I, I, I picture Job falling flat on his face. It's like, I, I got nothing. Verse 40, or chapter 40, verse 4, 4 and 5, he said, Behold, I am of small account. This is, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. He's like, I'm done. (laughs) What's happening is the light starting to come on. Job is silence in the presence of God's power because he's learning God's personhood. Okay, he's learning God. So now we talk about the nature of God. That's the second thing. Round one goes to God. Round two begins, uh, and God says in, in verses 7 and 8, again, dress for action. I will question you. You're to make it known to me. Again, he's like, come on. For 37 chapters, you've been running your mouth. I'm not done with you. Come on. Suit up. Let's go. Job's asking up questions. Now God's asking the question, so he puts him in the witness stand. Job is quieted, yet not convinced yet. So God grabs his belt and again puts him on his back. And then God gets to the heart of the problem. I'm going to bring this in because i got more information to have time. And this, 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 this had to hurt. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? So, so while Job's initial reaction to loss in the beginning of the book was submissive worship, as his misery increased, his confidence wavered, okay, and he began to insist on his own righteousness at the expense of God's justice. See, that's where Job's issue came in, and that's, I think all of us can relate to that. We try to tough it out at the beginning. You know, we go to the doctor, and we don't like the report, and we say, yo, but God. But then if I go to a follow-up and it's not any better, then all of a sudden my misery is prolonged. Everybody understand what I'm talking about? We, it, it starts to grow. It's, that's what happened with Job. His misery continued. It didn't let up. And, and so what he had done was he had set himself up, Job did, as judge over God. And so God starts out this way, talks about the behemoth that many consider a dinosaur so God asked him the question in verse 24. He said, can, can one take him by his legs or pierce his nose with a snare? And then to the Leviathan, again, another dinosaur perhaps. Verse four, chapter 40, verse 1, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down its tongue with a cord? In other words, if no one can control what God has created, how can man control the creator? Again, Job's response uh, to this to this is like, <laughs> I'm powerless. I'm powerless to your power and your plan. Verses uh, 2 and 3 said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. 
I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. So, so you see what's happening. Again, I'm, just, I'm, I'm giving you a, a very vivid illustration of a guy who went through a ringer, just like we go through ringers, who questioned God, who, who wavered, that, again, became angry, went, went through all those things. And then he comes around and says, you know what? I spoke about things that I just do not understand. Job does not get all of his questions answered, but here's what he does get to know. He gets to know God. He doesn't get his questions answered. In fact, I don't think God even attempted to answer one of them. But he did get to know God. See, he'd only heard about God before. But now he sees him in all of his glory and his splendor and his goodness. And so finally, uh, in chapter 42, verses 5 and 6, Job finally breaks down. And, and, and again, this is the hinge of the entire book. Here's what he says. He said, I, have, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So what happened there? Job repented. What does it mean? It means he changed his mind and went a different direction. What direction did he go? He started trusting God again. Had his circumstances changed at that moment? No. Nope, he'd still lost everything. But he changed direction. Here's the thing. If we don't catch ourselves in our misery, it will be a path that we remain on the rest of our lives. And we will be miserable, grumpy saints who have lost the joy of our salvation. He said, I repent. I turn around. Again, I think, I think Sheila's laughter for me is probably, sometimes it can be irritating. <laughs> but, but I think for me, the joy, I, you know, she's such a well-content lady in spite of her situation. And I think that's God's way of saying, Mike, I, I see what you're going through, and I know. And I got you, son. I got you. Still hurts, but I'm not wallowing in my misery. I still trust him. That's what this is, that's what this is all about. See, ultimately, the only answer God gave to Job was himself. That's it. All the questions, all 37 chapters of rambling, the only answer God gave to Job was himself. And the main point of the book of Job is this. Life is unfair. Bad things do happen. And the question really isn't, where is God when it hurts? Rather, it's, where am I when it hurts? Because the most important battles that we fight are within ourselves. Where are you when life hurts? Think about it. See, the real question for Job it was not his suffering, but whether or not he's going to trust God's sovereignty. And for us, it's the same thing. Because if the Lord tarries his return, you know, again, however long, each one of us will have occasions of hard times. We'll have funerals to attend. And if the Lord tarries, again, he... We, we don't even have a promise, but you understand what I'm saying. If he tarries 50 years, we'll have our funerals. We'll have disappointments. It's not a matter of if trouble's going to come our way. It's where are you going to be when it comes. It's not going to be are you, uh, where are you in suffering. It's going to be do you still trust him. See, God basically challenged Job in the only thing that Job can control and that was his response. Everything else was beyond his control, but he could control how he reacted. And it's the same for us. That's the only thing that you and I can control is how will you respond when bad times come. His response was his responsibility. And our response is our responsibility. 
Blaming God got him nowhere. <laughs> and it doesn't get us anywhere. But it makes us feel guilty in the end. There are times where I come in here for prayer and I'm just like, God, I'm so sorry. Why do you still love me? Why do you, why do you still love me after I just, I just blew a gasket and just, I'm just glad he does. I'm just glad he does. Blaming God gets us nowhere. He need, we need to respond. So, so let me just wrap this up with a few things. Here's some lessons to, uh, uh, some application to it. Number one, we need a new view of God and a new view of ourselves. When bad things happen, when bad times come, we need, we need a revelation of who God is. That's exactly what God did to Job. He started out saying, you need to understand who I am, the God of nature. I created all of this. With the span of my hand, I put the stars in orbit, and I call them all by name. And we can't even grasp 130 million, billion, whatever it is, galaxies. He said, but I call them all by name. See the, mag the magnitude of our God. And then see the nature of God. Get a new revelation. See, God is greater than we can grasp, and we are smaller than we surmise. <laughs> Another one is God, uh, God's goodwill for each of us includes suffering. Job 23.10 says, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. God knows our suffering. He knows the way I take. Number three, God's silence is not the same as his absence. His silence is not the same as his absence. When God feels far away, it usually has more to do with us than it is with him. You say, well, how do I combat that? Well, you listen, we can either go by faith or we can go by feelings. I've got to trust that promise that I'll never leave you nor forsake you in spite of what my feelings may tell me. Don't doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. Amen? 7,487 positive promises of God. Don't doubt in the dark what he's already promised in the light. Number four, our response needs to be one of repentance. Here's the thing. God has a right and it flies in the face of our individuality and, you know, the Western mindset. But God has the right to do anything he wants to do with his creation. How many of you have ever had somebody try to come on your property and tell you what to do on that property? And you said, this is my property. I'll do what I want to do. Anybody ever said something like that? So then you get a little bit of an idea that God has a right to do anything he wants to do with his creation. It is. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Acts 17.30 says one of God's goals is to keep everyone or to get everyone to repentance. It says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Again, instead of defending our right to, to be right, start defending God's right to be right. That's what God, that's him. See, the mystery of suffering and sin will always be with us because it just doesn't make sense. I like what Job says in 1925. He said, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, he will stand upon the earth. God created us. I'm closing. God created us, okay, with the freedom to choose our actions, right? God's ultimate answering to suffering isn't an explanation. It's the incarnation, why didn't God do something? He did. Isaiah 53 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. See, that's, that's, the, that's the answer to the question right there. The answer to suffering is not in an explanation. It's in the incarnation. He died for us so that we could live forever in victory. So as I close, two statements. We can either hurt with God or we can hurt without God. But we get to choose. Won't you stand with me tonight? I like what Corey Ten Boone always said, uh, oftentimes would say this. She said that 
No matter how deep our darkness, he is deeper still. Pretty good. No matter how dark the dark, God is much deeper. Won't you bow with me as we close in prayer tonight? I know that's probably a heavy one to close out a series on, but that's, of all the questions that we've covered, that's probably one that's more related to each one of us here because we, we suffer, we go through hard times. And if you're online tonight, we're just going to close with this prayer, and I'm going to ask you if you're here tonight, say, you know what, Pastor, I need a new re- revelation of God. I find myself, some of those questions and some of the expressions of your, your pain and your frustration, I find myself there. I do the same thing because I don't understand. I, I can't reconcile. But it makes sense to me now. And I trust God. And just, I want, I, want a, I want a revelation of God and of myself. I want to see him in his rightful place which would expose me to my rightful place. If you're online, if you'll comment, we'll pray with you as well. If you're here tonight, say, Pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me? Just slip your hand right right back down tonight. Going through tough times. God is faithful, church. He's faithful. He is trustworthy. Father, tonight, thank you. Thank you for the gentleness of that still, small voice of your Holy Spirit. Sometimes you do come in with that all-powerful whirlwind. But there are times you're not in that. You're not in the shaking. You're not in the fire. You're in the stillness. Father, I pray that tonight, for the hands that went up here and those that are online tonight, Lord, you know. You know how it hurts. You know the tears that we shed when nobody sees us. You know how we beat ourselves up wondering why we did something or how we, Lord, may we recognize tonight that we're not your mark, that you don't have it out for us, and you're not out to get us. Lord, let us know that there's purpose in our pain. And that your promise is still in effect, that you will be with us always, even to the very end. And as the psalmist wrote, when we walk through the deep, dark valleys of life, we will not fear because you are with us. Now, Lord, we ask you to give us that strength to, do, to introspectively look. Lord, and see our response. Do we feel like Job that we are more just And that we have the right to complain about our station. When, Lord, you see the beginning from the end and you already know. Lord, you have plans and purposes and nothing has thwarted your plan since the very beginning. Lord, help us recognize your sovereignty, your majesty, and your splendor. And help us to see us in that light. I pray, Father, for those that are going through tough times tonight. I pray that you as the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, would come alongside in comfort and reassure that it came to pass, not come to stay. Give us that confidence tonight. Let us trust in you with all of our heart and not lean to our own understanding. But in all of our ways, acknowledge you, Lord, and you will direct our steps. Now I ask you to go with us. Give us a wonderful, restful night. Should you tarry, bring us again on Sunday, ready to receive your word. Even now, ordain what you're going to take place, what's going to take place as you bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need an encounter with you. I love and bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.